Hi, this is Andrea Borcha. And I'm Charles Wilchin. This is Far Stuff. The Internet of Things podcast. This week on Far Stuff... Prosthetics and human enhancement. This is really exciting. We actually decided to pursue this topic thanks to a letter from James. So thanks, James, for getting our wheels spinning on this topic. Hey, James. This is actually a really interesting movement in the Internet of Things because it so tightly connects people and their things. It's no longer the things that are just around you in your life and and how you interact. These are now things that are a part of you. Yeah. I mean, prosthetics, <laughs> you're... Your focus is on health way more than mine, but I imagine that the move from, I guess, dumb prosthetics to smart prosthetics must be changing everything. Yes. And especially the sense of passive prosthetics, which was... Oh, is that is that what I call dumb prosthetics? Yes. Okay. So just something that that is a dumb prosthetic. It's a passive. It doesn't react to the world around it. It doesn't react to you. I think the prosthetic topic in particular has gotten a lot of press recently as a result of the Boston Marathon bombing. 16 people lost uh, at least one limb in the Boston Marathon. And MIT has been focusing a lot on building smarter prosthetics. And they have an interesting Indiegogo campaign going on right now where they're trying to raise money because insurance will only cover the base form of prosthetics. Is it for those victims? It is. It is for those 16 victims. So go to Indiegogo. Find that campaign. And uh, we'll have a link to it on our blog as well. So I think that's where recently at a TED event in Vancouver, Hugh Herr from MIT had an interesting talk and and really showed off because he, in fact, has two prosthetics as well. They're really trying to focus on making these things, his legs, more useful in the life he wants to live and let people be more active in their lifestyle so they don't feel you know, that they've actually uh, been hindered in any way from having the active lifestyle they want. And again, we're talking about it because instead of just passive stuff, these actually fit our definition of the Internet of Things, which is they connect to stuff. Yep. They send diagnostics. They compute. They They react to their environment. Presumably, they try to offer as comfortable of an experience as they possibly can with human-created replacement limbs. And they also communicate I assume there's a way to, for example, like tune these to the individual person's needs and and how they walk. and Specifically with the work that's happening at at MIT, uh, they're calling it the Powered Ankle Foot Prosthesis. And what it does is it uses all that computational power, the collection of information from around it. So it definitely fits into our definition of the Internet of Things. It normalizes a user's gait. Mm. So essentially, if somebody had these prosthesis one or two on and you were looking at them from the waist up that they would be walking uh, completely normally. Wow. And rather than with normal prosthetics where you might notice a limb or something out of the ordinary. So it's completely adaptive to your gait. And uh, what they're trying to do is extend that even further and have it adapt to whatever it is you're trying to do. So you can run, you can swim, you can bike and it's as if everything's as it should be and reacts the way it should, as if a normal leg would. That's incredible. So, you know, we've gone from a world where these were just kind of hunks of wood at one time to plastic. And now they're actually computing machines. A lot of software goes into them, all with the intention of providing these folks with uh, a normal life again after they, were, after they 
have lost a limb. And that's actually only one major revolution in these prosthetics. Uh, Not only are they focusing on how to make it normalized so it can handle and adapt to the way you as an individual walk, but now they're also looking at sensors that they want to put into these limbs. Specifically, they're, they're playing with hands and fingers. Oh, meaning sensors that don't just inform the behavior of the prosthetic, but sensors that can communicate and interface with your central nervous system? Exactly. Yep. So they're doing a lot of experiments right now where they are connecting these sensors to your nervous system. So you actually have sensations as if you were using your hand and, and touching something and actually sending sending those back to you. You have a lot of benefits by connecting to the nervous system. So one, you can get some of those senses back, so the sense of touch, but also it can make it a lot easier for you to react, right? So uh, moving your legs and, and having them to adapt to what you're doing, it's actually a bit more standard than, for example, having a hand that you then need to grasp or pull or I mean the the movements in a in a hand itself are pretty complicated. So having your brain and your nervous system be able to control that as if it was an extension of your own body is pretty impressive. Wow. So those two in particular on the prosthetic sides are, are pretty interesting with how they connect and what they're trying to do with specifically connecting into the nervous system and giving you a chance to feel again. That's incredible. And and presumably the fact that the compute piece of it is there means that they can tune that as well. So they're not maybe inundated with signals that would just kind of bother them, but actually just presents sort of the exceptions and like, oh, you need to pay attention to this, or this is sort of an approximation of how soft or hard the item is. That's incredible. DARPA is making a touch-sensitive artificial prosthetic that they released last May, and it uses nerve electrodes to provide direct sensory feedback to the individual. Basically, they've found a way to connect each individual aspect of your hand into your central nervous system through the nerves that already exist there. It kind of brings you back a little bit to the um, Star Wars (laughs) where uh, he got his hands cut off and they showed how in his hand they connected all the different pieces. And that's essentially what DARPA, if you look through their videos and the articles about it, it looks essentially very similar to what they did (laughs) in the movie. Incredible. So we have a couple other senses that are the focus of these human enhancements and these things that we're adding to our bodies to improve or or, uh, replace. So there's interesting studies coming out of um, Australia on improving vision. There was one study called the blind mice study Mm -hmm. that compared mice with normal vision to blind mice treated with a new internet of things, basically approach. Were they implanted a device into their brain? They were implanted an eye, essentially Uh a vision thing Uh to improve their vision. They were blind and They were able to distinguish between different images and faces provided by the researchers. Wow. uh, Just as well as the mice with normal vision that weren't blind. I feel like I'm just going to say wow a lot of the time, but it's it's pretty amazing. Like the fact that computing power is sort of exponentially growing and providing a platform for more sophisticated software. It's just, I can't imagine what it's going to be like in 10 years. Yeah. Even on the most basic level where you're not actually implanting or replacing the eyeball itself. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple new companies out there that kind of do going more like the Google Glass way. Uh-huh. So there's one called Argus 2. It's a retinal prosthetic system. 
it has a chip that sends electric signals through optic nerves to the brain, which then transforms them into an image. But it's still a camera. Where does that piece sit? It's actually like glasses that you'd wear. Okay. And that connects to a chip that's implanted in your brain. So that, wow. that connects back into your retina to so explain the, things. The glasses are sort of the peripheral. They have the camera and the battery. Right. Got it. And so it's basically taking what the camera sees in the glasses mm-hmm. and sending it to the part of your brain that interprets images, even though you uh, can no longer see with your eyes. Australia, though, to bring it back to that, just received $42 million from the government, a company called Bionic Vision Australia. And they revealed a bionic eye, which is actually an eye that is replaced and uh, then perceives points of light that the brain can then reconstruct into images. So when you say it's actually an eye, meaning it comes in the form factor, the size of an eye. Right. It, it's and essentially they, a, a replacement to a glass eye. Wow. And that's pretty impressive with the amount of space you have. Does it like light up red? Because that would be the coolest. <laughs> oh my God, you'd scare people. Then you're connecting into the like Terminator world. Totally. Right? <laughs> yeah, you're giving them ter- Terminator vibes. I mean, come on, you're half blind. It's the least that they could do is provide right. you with some fun. I am actually a little curious and I couldn't find too much information on on this. There were some studies on vision a while back that showed that children that were born blind may not have the neural capability to understand images. And so they might always be blind because all of these research projects that I managed to come upon really focused on giving sight back to somebody. So the, the neural pathways that understood light and images already existed. It was just about replacing the entry point input. Right. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Technically it's replacing an input with a, a digital version That's of an input. That's fascinating. So they may have the hardware, they just don't have the software in their brain to parse right. the signals being sent. And so I haven't actually found too much on that particular problem. And I don't know if that's being addressed or not, to be honest. But uh, I think that would be interesting to see because that would be taking it to a whole new yeah. level. That that means your, your human enhancements, prosthetics thing is not just giving you back something that you may have lost, but but creating something new within you that you never had. Hmm. Um, along those same lines, there are studies uh, going on right now for uh, people with type 1 diabetes uh, that have also never been able to. So the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Yeah, please tell me. So type 1 diabetes, you're typically born with, and it means your body doesn't have the capability to produce the insulin it needs. Hmm. Type 2, which is more prominent problem right now, in our country is a result of you losing the capability. So for a type one, they've actually been doing some pretty interesting studies where they're trying to create a new pancreas essentially. And it's not going to look like a pancreas, (laughs) but it's a thing Uh essentially that gets implanted in your body. And it's definitely part of the internet of things. It connects, it communicates, it computes, and it basically replaces that functionality in your body. Wow. There's some other interesting realms down that route uh, when you start getting into the nanos, nanomotors, nanobots, the studies that they've been doing with those just take this internet of things to a whole new level. I'm glad you brought this up because I wasn't sure if nano stuff really fit into the internet of things, but you know, these things have some computing power. Absolutely. They are really just on a different scale. I think that they absolutely do fall into the internet of things. It's strange, though, because you you almost 
don't conceptualize that something that small can have the necessary requirements to be part of the internet of things. Right. How can something that small connect, compute and communicate? Yeah. But they are, they have different nano motors. They put in people's body and we're traveling through veins, cleaning up messes and fixing issues. (laughs) So that might be another way to tackle diabetes from the inside out is just swallow a couple nanobots and let them go in through your body and fix everything that's a that's an issue nice <laughs> some of the more playful concepts that they that were brought up were uh, sperm bots to improve uh, productivity fertility i'm sorry i'm an adult i shouldn't have snickered <laughs> you shouldn't have we're adults here talking about adult that's medical right. problems uh sperm bots Yes, they were called sperm bots. Nanovolcanoes. Wait, what did those do? Sperm bots? Uh-huh. Sperm bots are sperm-powered micro-robots to offer a new method of fertilization. But aren't we all sperm-powered? Uh, I'm sorry, that's terrible. Well, fertilization is a big problem nowadays. Uh, the amount of people that need to go get help with that is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And sperm have their own travel arrangements basically <laughs> they they travel quite well on their own so why add one more component to your nanobot that has to force it to travel when it can just hitch a ride on the sperm of course it all makes sense when you explain it that way it does the flagellum on the sperm propels it and you just attach your nanobots to it and and it gets to where it needs to go uh, and then does what it needs to do that's great you know when you actually look and start taking a deeper look into some of these this area of medical internet of things, you do find that a lot of the people that are making strong developments in this are finding clever solutions for some problems that come up and some interesting concepts. So, for example, you don't have a lot of space sometimes in the parts of the body that you need to fix, and so you need to leverage what you have around you. I think we've seen this as well with some of the other Internet of Things prosthetics that have come up is if it needs power, do we want to look at solar power, have it function entirely and use the world around it? And your your body is its own form of energy. Yeah. Leveraging that so that it powers the things around you. There's also been some examples of some Internet of Things devices that are actually powered by the radio waves traveling through us at any given moment. So they make these things that they can put into walls or whatever. And we're surrounded by radio waves. I don't know how much they actually pass through the body, but certainly the example of something that's kind of outside your body or hooked onto your arm, whatever, could be easily powered by the radio waves that are surrounding us at all times. Definitely. When you get into this realm of medical, I think you have to be very clever with how things are powered. You don't want to have to be replacing a battery in your prosthetic eye or limb when you're mid-activity. Right. Or something even worse that's kind of buried inside your body. Sure. Hard to reach, risky place to access. Well, there's been plenty of push to develop smarter heart valves and heart monitors that are internal pacemakers. All of those things, you really don't want to have to carry that around with you. And and right. And if we can build watches that, (laughs) that wind themselves when you shake them, There's no reason we can't do that to other stuff. You'd think so. The heart itself, you get it started, it pumps back. That could (laughs) That's true. That's true. An infinite loop of uh, power. Yeah. You just have to feed it Twinkies and somehow it gets translated into heart energy. Twinkies. That's a bad idea. I'm sorry. You're right. (laughs) And then chicken breast. Yeah, that's better. Okay. Better. 
they're even getting down to the scale of DNA sized nanobots. So ones that actually create. Are you just making that up now? No, they we have nanobots that are so small that they build their own protein string. Wow. As if they are DNA. So you could essentially have these nanobots creating their own protein strings that affect how your body functions. You know, I just have to say that some of these experiments are going to go horribly, horribly wrong. Well, that takes us to another part of the conversation, right? What, what do you do when these things do go horribly wrong? Do we, is this something we need to be concerned of? Can you hack the medical devices, prosthetics and human enhancements that you have in your system? Is that something that we need to be concerned with? I think it's the number one concern. Personally, like security, I think it's short shrift in today's world because the D-Day has not happened for Internet of Things security and possibly even computer security. So the Heartbleed bug was a recent thing that I think woke people up to the fact that a lot of our infrastructure is actually really fragile because of things that we haven't been able to foresee. And so I think that if we have a couple more like that, especially if they actually hurt someone. There's no real evidence that the heart bleed thing actually caused a death or something. But if something like that happens to like control systems that control a nuclear power plant, it's going to hurt some people and kill some people. Sure. But we might need that to prioritize. People don't want to spend money where they don't need to because money is the kind of the motivating force for shareholder owned companies. So I, unfortunately, I don't see a way that it works without there being some very tragic incident. It's a tricky slope with security because I think we've definitely seen an over communication of fear at times about security of some of these things. So a a few years ago, there were a bunch of stories about being able to hack insulin pumps and what would that do? Mm. And so one, I guess I would ask what's the motivation, but I guess if you're The motivation for what, making that public? For hacking a medical device, I guess, unless you want to kill a bunch of people or hurt them. but And I guess some people do. Yeah. So you can't, unfortunately... But it's not like a monetary driver, which I feel is a lot of... Yeah, sadly, some people just want to watch the world burn. I think I'm I'm taking that from a Batman movie or something, but I (laughs) still think it's true. Probably. But uh, even when they were concerned about being able to hack this Mm -hmm. insulin pump... Uh, you still had to be within, I believe, 100 yards of it or less uh, to even access it because it still, has such a small range. Still, that's scary. It is. And it turned out it wasn't true, which was interesting. It just seemed, you know, it was a bunch of lobbyists that had managed to rile up the right senators that got or congressmen that got excited and were convinced that this is a serious concern. And in fact, the the mechanisms within the insulin pump itself were so rudimentary that there wasn't room for hacking. It just didn't seem to be an issue. I'm not sure if that really carries across all devices. I think, you know, the points you've made earlier where these things are starting to get a good amount of compute power, I think it does make it more scary. Yeah. Just because the more software you have, the more opportunities there are for bugs in code and for those to be exploited. That's true. So if you take it back to uh, the smart prosthetic limbs that we started the conversation with, really the algorithms in that are all about gait and comfort. Uh, It's not like you'd be able to take over those limbs and control them and then start 
walking this person wherever they want to don't want to go. <laughs> Although that would be really cool. <laughs> but uh, that's not no, really but, what it does. Sure. But something like something that attaches to the heart. Right. Scary. Or uh, nanobots, if there would be some way as because nanobots right now, a lot of the experiments they're showing are controlled through ultrasound waves oh. to communicate to them because they're internal and there's there's no easy way to do that. So essentially, if you wanted to hack them, you'd have to find a way to transmit it using ultrasound. Yeah, probably impractical. And that might end up being the place that we end up when it comes to these prosthetics mm-hmm. and human enhancements. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know where we fall with security. I feel like it is definitely on everybody's mind when it comes mm-hmm. to these medical enhancements and medical you're devices. In this, you're in this area. Yes. Right now I am working for a, a healthcare company. We, we focus more on diagnostics mm-hmm. rather than prosthetics or human enhancements. Right. But still, I'd really like security to be like half the focus. I think security is a big concern mostly because of the extensive liability associated with the medical field. Mm. And, you know, at the end of the day, it, it still comes back to money, which is sad to say, but it's true. My impression is with medical, people are trying to move quickly, but they're also always concerned about trying to find an effective way to protect what they're doing because at the it just wouldn't be a successful evolution in our technology if you're just leaving a bunch of people open. Good. Well, I want to, I want to believe the best. I want to believe that they're doing this to improve outcomes and they're going to make it secure. And I want to believe all that, but stuff happens, man. It is tricky. It is definitely a tricky field uh, to figure out how to secure specific internet of things that are part of the human body. It might be because they have rather simplistic functionality compared to other things mm-hmm. in the internet of things. And some are really differently intimate, like a hearing aid. I mean, these are realizing huge advances in the kinds of algorithms, the kinds of audio filtering they can do, sort of modeling the ear and presumably generating waveforms that kind of make up for the person's specific impairment. Well, there've definitely been some really huge improvements in cochlear implants. Yeah. You can't even tell they're there and they're so much more powerful. And that's that's awesome, but that is not as intimate as something like a nanobot. Right. Like, you know, that you can just rip off, well, the hearing aid you can just rip off, but yeah, the cochlear implant, the more and more that we become part cybernetic effectively, uh the the scarier this stuff could get. Yeah, that, I just want to make sure they're thinking about it. Can you make sure that happens? I, I will personally um, Thank make sure you. it happens. Sure, because I have that kind of great pull in the I world. I feel better. <laughs> I think that is a big difference between where we started our conversation talking about the work coming out of MIT. Those are still prosthetics that you can remove. So if necessary, you could detach from it. You're in a, an entirely different realm when things are implanted, connected to your nervous system, connected to your brain, connected to your eyes, connected to your heart. And at that point, where do you draw the line? You know, yes, you have to be concerned about security, concerned about privacy. Maybe it would be an easy way for people to detect if you have a heart problem and then you can't run for president or you can't run or you can't, you know, it might impede the kind of life you want to have. There could be discrimination associated with right. it. There's there's an, an insurmountable amount of discussion points on what it means to have something implanted in you. What do you think is closest to that today? I mean, I've seen people that are just doing outlier stuff, like the guy who implanted a camera in the back of his head. 
Yeah. Like the there's was, the crazies, right? Right. But and, is there is there something today that people are using that are that's sort of so intimate that it could kill you? Is it pacemakers? I would say that the most likely thing along those ro- lines is all of the heart-related technology that's been developed. That is really scary to me. Because they can control electrical impulses in the heart and actually... Well, certain controls electrical impulses, certain controls the different elements of the heart, your mm-hmm. valves, your process, you know. It, it, and they coordinate those? Yeah. And if that goes out of rhythm, presumably that's bad. Well, which is true of any pacemaker. And that happens now with normal pacemakers that aren't part of the Internet of Things. Your oh, battery dies oh, or see. you go too close to a certain magnet. I mean, they, they pretty much tell you if you have a pacemaker, you can't go through certain magnetic fields mm-hmm. because it'll completely mess with it. And microwaves are a problem. Is that true? Uh, I don't know if that's oh, true. okay. Sorry, I don't know where I heard that. <laughs> it might be. I don't know that much about them. But as you sort of fuse with these things, you get all the benefits and all the drawbacks of fusing with these things. Right. And this is a philosophical concept called uh, transhumanism. According to Wikipedia, defined as an international cultural and intellectual movement with an eventual goal of fundamentally transforming the human condition by developing and making widely available technologies to greatly enhance human intellectual, physical, and psychological capacities. I'll take it. It's basically, where do we draw the line on enhancing our humanness with the amazing technology that we are able to bring into the world? We're so schizophrenic on this as a society. Like glasses, no problem. We expect our sports teams to be completely enhanced. Like we have this sort of thing where every baseball player juices, and yet we somehow turn our heads and pretend that it doesn't happen. Well, you say that, but then uh, the 20... So it must be true? Is that how you're going to end? No, you say that, but I feel like uh, certain sports entities are taking a much harder line with that. For example, the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver banned performance-enhancing technology just as much as it bans performance-enhancing substances. That's true, but you can look at the swimsuits that Olympic swimmers wear. Right, but those were not allowed at the Olympics. So Wait. the LZR Razor swimsuit broke yeah. 168 world records this year. Yeah but are banned from the Olympics. So they're using them to break world records on their own, but not at Olympic events. Wow. So world records are really BS. Is what you're telling me. Well, it's tricky because I almost feel like maybe we need to have two different Guinness Book of World Records, right? One that's for you as a human without any enhancements and maybe a whole new one for trans humans. I heard a great proposal. Basically, those would have asterisks by them. (laughs) <laughs> there'd be some signature, some visual cue that they were, you know, they somehow were, enhanced. Yeah, they were somehow enhanced. It might, it might be very sad though for the Guinness Book of Records because at some point, does do all the records eventually get beaten out by people that have some sort of enhancement? And well, if you it'll look be at, a nostalgic, <laughs> nostalgic thing that we look back on. Yeah, I think it, I think it will. If you look at bodybuilding in the early part of the 20th century. Men didn't look like bodybuilders do today. Right. Like, they're just crazy. Oh, it's it's disturbing. Like, no mortal can look like that without juicing. And, and it's a shame, but people love it, too. So, 
I don't want to be a fuddy-duddy about it. Like, but just let's have a special group for people that choose to do it, I guess. The old-fashioned way? I guess. But then it's tough because how do you define the old-fashioned way, right? I mean, No performance-enhancing drugs? Drugs or technology? Or what about philosophical performance enhancers? What about new (laughs) concepts and how to work out? So like meditation? Well, there are new studies that show better ways to build muscle that don't require any sort of performance enhancements. I think I think that's okay. So, so if we figure that out using technology, they can just consult with me, and I'll lay down the rules. Okay, and it'll be fine. Good. So I'm meant to go make sure that all bionics are safe and not hackable. And your responsibility is to make sure that no one uh, defines enhancement the wrong way. That's right. Even though I I don't really pay attention to sports at all. Right. I would like to set the rules for that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, so you did make a point, though. The Olympics in Russia recently did allow skiers to use skis that had special nanotechnology that better absorbed the inconsistencies in the snow. And that, I think should fall under the same thing as the swimsuit. Boy, that's a tough one, though. Because they're both equipment You're right. that help you do your job better. I think... And you kind of need the swimsuit, and you kind of need the skis. Right, right. And the swimsuit, I think they drew the line in the sand because it was so consistently breaking all the world mm-hmm. records. I mean, it was very clear that it made you a better swimmer. And we'll have links to this so you can read more about it, but it's pretty impressive technology. So if everyone was using the same skis though. Right. And I think that was their concept. And they thought that we've been evolving our skis anyway to be more stable on ice and snow. So this is just another evolution in that. And it doesn't really fit into the internet of things because it's still. Well, but, but it seems inevitable that at some point skis will have computing power and be able to do something to counteract vibrations. Like, which is kind of what this nanotechnology starts to mm-hmm. do. Just not part of the Internet of Things yet. Well, it but... just it doesn't communicate back mm-hmm. to you mm-hmm. in a in a feasible way, but it does definitely compute and connect. Seems seems in- inevitable though, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, at some point, it would almost be that your skis, just like they have that impressive new tennis racket that talks back to your phone and tells you what's wrong with mm-hmm. your swing, your skis will now tell you where you went wrong or where yeah. you where you're doing well. It seems fine as long as everyone's on the same base platform to compete against. Well, sure. But where does that leave us when we start getting into the military, which... Oh, our guys get the best stuff. (laughs) That's for sure. Yep. Now we're getting into... Forget fairness. Now we're getting into Iron Man territory. Oh. The military has openly admitted that they're actively investigating. That was a joke. No. No. Did you hear Obama? No. Yeah. He's, he made an announcement about the Iron Man program? Well, yes, the Iron Man program is a joke, but they are looking into suits that do enhance certain elements and uh, armor. So that's not a joke. I think I they're just that. trying to deflect. So oh, they didn't call it Iron Man. clever. We were all like, ha, ha, ha. And he's like, well, I'm kind of joking, but I'm really kind of yeah. serious. No, I, I think he absolutely was like, yes, we, we aren't creating the next Iron Man but we are focusing a lot on robotics and cyber weapons, which kind of fits into the Internet of Things. Right. The trademark won't be Iron Man when the right. government does it. It'll be Titanium Boy. Well, these enhancements alone could make better soldiers, right? I mean, if you take the nanotechnology that absorbs 
the bumps for skiers and apply that to your tanks or other elements of military travel that that sure definitely gives them an edge. No, and there's some great stuff out there that saves lives as well. Like it's it's not all for kind of offense. There's some great nanotechnology for staunching wounds, for example. That's uh, I guess a pretty recent development, and that's great. I mean, part of the reason that we the prosthetic stuff comes up so often is that we're bringing home a lot of folks from the military who are alive when they otherwise would have died, but are missing limbs is what I've heard. Yeah. Uh, So anything we can do to help them is I think really important. Definitely. There's a lot of room for advancement in this world. And I think at some point the discussions need to happen and, and kind of already are happening a bit on where do you draw the line with human enhancement? I think for some reason, this topic has definitely sparked a lot of fear and excitement in global entities. There were discussions about where human enhancements might fit as weapons under the Geneva Convention, and where do you draw the line there? Obama may come out and say that we're not working on the next Iron Man, but it's a little naive to not think that the military is focusing on some ways to enhance soldiers or improve what they do when sure. they do out out in the field, uh, because if we're not somebody else's, and I think it is emotional. You know, we we make fun of glass holes a lot, <laughs> or at least I do. But I think part of that is a discomfort that you know maybe the internet is too close. Maybe I don't want the internet in my face. And what happens when that is the case? When everybody has the internet sort of in their face, in their brain, and that sort of membrane between the digital world and the physical world disappears. Right now, it's already bad enough. People have their phones in their faces all the time. You know, am I just going to be like, when I was a kid? You know, is it just that? Is it just that I'm old? Or is it that literally it's going to be such a big change that it will actually cause some sort of cultural rift and leave us out? Well, I think the biggest issue... I mean, me, you're you're younger. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't the biggest issue really, though, not being able to disconnect from it, I think that's really where the fear comes in. Everything else that we've discussed thus far in the Internet of Things, you can disconnect from. You can throw away a thing. You can remove a thing from your network. You can cut it off in some way. But the second you allow an Internet of Things, something with the capability to communicate, to connect, and to compute become a physical part of your entity where you could not remove it without killing yourself. Well, that's when people, I think, start getting a bit more intimidated as to... See, all I can think of is Iron Man. I was like, yeah, I'd totally do that. Oh, no. (laughs) I think you'd have to feel really comfortable with the technology. I mean... If you want to go down the Iron Man route... uh, That's true. No, that's... He was uh, forced into it. (laughs) That's true. But yeah, I can't imagine the people with pacemakers, how they must feel knowing that there's this little chunk of plastic and metal that keeps them alive. And that's just your heart with a very basic rhythm. Now talk about connecting things into your brain, which... While we have made some pretty significant advancements in understanding how the brain works in the last decade or so, I'm not sure that we necessarily know what nanobots or a computer chip or any sort of anything else that connects into my brain would necessarily react. How similar are brains, really? It'll be a symbiosis of some sort. Like if they're interfaced and they're talking together, um, it's going to affect your brain as much as your brain is affecting the thing. 
Yeah. And and at the end of the day, who wins the battle of control if necessary? Can somebody then hack your brain? Sure. It's just meat. Right. Well, it's, it's a computer system within itself, really, the brain. The second you start connecting an internet of thing into your brain, your brain just becomes an extension of the internet, just something else that is now accessible to hacking. Yeah, if they can get an interface that well, that will actually be incredibly impressive. But yeah, I, I can't imagine at some point there will be groups of people who do this and can't go back. Yeah. And it'll be divided up by rich and poor, by countries. It'll be a mess. And it'd be really interesting to consider what you would do in that situation. If it came down to it and they said, you have six months to live, or we've got this new fancy technology that we can connect into your central nervous system, your heart and your brain, and you'll live another 30 years. 30? How about a thousand? Well, and that's the other thing, right? I mean, we see an obsession coming out of a certain major influencers in the economy that have uh, a desire to live forever. And this Go ahead, be- say it. You think it's all men. I'd say it is all men. Men are obsessed with living forever. I don't... Really? Just men? Are you sure women just aren't quieter about it? No, women... Okay. I, I can't speak for all women. No, you are. <laughs> I have no intention in speaking for all women. You're the only one here. Um, but from a personal perspective... I'm completely comfortable having a finite amount of years on this planet. I think it brings more value to your life. I think it gives you that drive to succeed more and, mm-hmm. and uh, take more value in it. I'm going to check back in when you're 70. Go for it. The, <laughs> the value of life and the value of anything is because it's finite. If we had a currency that was infinite, it would have no value. Oh, that is, that's super wise. So just like that, time has to be finite. Otherwise, it has no value. Man, but blowing my mind. Whoa, I know. There's our philosophical trip for the day. <laughs> um, but yes, there are a lot of Silicon Valley tech titans. So there's the Ellison Medical Foundation founded by billionaire Oracle CEO Larry Ellison. Eccentric billionaire. The fifth richest person in the world. <laughs> Uh, that's focusing on the biology of aging. Uh, there's Really? Th- He's only fifth richest? Apparently. He better get his butt in gear. Well, you know, Google and all. Uh, mm. But yes, yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll put these links up on the blog. But there are a lot of men. men-powered <laughs> new <laughs> industries that want to, they want to live forever. There's mm. And, and uh, I've had this discussion with a couple of, guys in my life and they all seem to have that same obsession with wanting to live forever they want to live long enough to see us live on mars they want to live long oh, enough yeah right and so that's their the main argument i hear from that's a good one men is that they want to be around long enough to see all the advancements that they're just barely going to miss because they were born a couple decades too so fear of missing out right fomo that seems to be the yes it's a good reason yeah that, that seems to be the I, i'm fine missing out I'm good with that. I, I'm good with experiencing what I can experience like, in the time like, I've got. That's like my neighbor, Lucky. She was adorable and she passed away this year, but she was like, I've seen enough. Yep. I, I don't get it. You see, it's the female mentality. <laughs> I yeah, guess. I, you know, it's good enough. That's all I need. I don't, I don't need to see more than... It's already insane that I have a potential to live past 100 years when... You know, only a couple generations ago, you were looking at 
dying by 35. Yeah, or in other countries where you still probably are. Where the life expectancy is 29 in some countries, 35. Wow. I mean, it's in, it's incredible. Yeah, I think I would take life extension measures that were that were tech-based, even if they were pretty intrusive, as long as the quality of life was reasonable. You know, you didn't have to charge every night in a. I don't mind even that. <laughs> necessarily, Can you imagine you'd have to. Your bed would have a special charging station, and it's where you'd charge up the brain nanobots. That would I have a USB port so I could plug my iPhone in? Oh yeah, that so it that could charge was myself that, at the same time. That was another one of the um, more crazy no. side of prosthetics that came out. Somebody replaced a lost finger with a prosthetic finger that had a USB. In it, so that hey, you never lose your USB drive. Was that was I like a few years ago? It wasn't too long ago. But see, the problem with that is it's only USB two. Oh. Now there's USB three. Ah, and now, dude we're is out of date. <laughs> and and oh, upgrades! Oh my god, upgrades are going to be a pain in the butt. I don't even know how you do that. Software and software it, is fine. You well, can, you can do software. Yeah, but the technology and what happens when the technology degrades. Does that mean you then have to go under brain surgery or do you somehow find a way to track all the nanobots to one part of your body so you can replace them? Well, and presumably successive surgeries create scar tissue and stuff as well. So every time you go under for an upgrade, it's not looking good for future upgrades. No, it's it's a pretty complicated way of life, but it's its own way of upgrading the body. And I think at some point it's just another form of upgrade. But one step towards living forever is you get these Internet of Things nanobots to go through and clean all your veins so you can oh, keep eating great. all the terrible stuff that you shouldn't be eating. Oh, thank God. So today, we're seeing this in terms of way better prosthetics and probably for the near-term future. For the next 10 years, what? It's, we're really talking about better prosthetics? Prosthetics, uh, I think there's a lot of focus on senses and enhancing and improving the senses. Mm. For sure. Uh, and okay, so hearing. Yes, hearing, vision, auditory, visual, uh, sensory, mm-hmm. all of those, uh, all five senses. And connecting prosthetics so that they interface with our nervous system. Well, being able to actually have a prosthetic become a natural component of your body. So you almost forget that it's there. Making it natural seems to be the biggest focus right now on prosthetics. Great is we've made them basically functional mm-hmm. up to this point, and now it's about really enhancing them so they become an extension of who you are. Very cool. And they're adaptable and unique to you, which means they need to all stick on their own. And then the other realm of this particular arena of Internet of Things is when you start getting into the really, really small, the nanobots and the nanomotors and all the little elements that we can have in your body floating around doing their own thing. Seamlessly. Do you think that will happen in our lifetimes? Well, they've already made some significant progress in it. And there are already some nanomotors that have been placed in subjects that they're now testing. The FDA seems on board with a lot of this type of experimentation uh, as long as it proves beneficial, especially since they don't really connect besides ultrasound. They seem to think that they might be comfortable with that. And then in addition to the very small, you also have the very flexible, which is a new thing. Yes. The fact that electronics can now be flexible, that they can even create stuff that dissolves. Yep. So that sounds amazing. I mean, the fact that somebody could bandage up maybe an internal wound with something that would report back status, that would dissolve about the same time that the wound would naturally heal anyway. Well, you do have the e-tattoo that a lot of people have been 
playing with now. There's a, a lot of articles in the last few years where you stick on this tattoo and it sends back body metrics. It can control the rate at which drug is entering your system. And basically it, it becomes that you're, you're smart skin, essentially. Oh, interesting. So drugs won't go away, but they may be controlled by something that has compute capabilities that talks to sensors to provide like a much better dynamic dose than here. This guy weighs, this is a male, this age, give him this dose every day. We see throughout health and medicine that we're moving more towards a personalized world. Uh, you can see this in uh, all the drug companies are moving away from the generic catch-all hitting a, a fly with an elephant, essentially, uh, approach to everything being very personalized, both by tracking your DNA and and figuring out with you specifically what drugs will work. But now you can have these sensors, these nanos, and then the nanos are the ones that release the drugs. So if you have diabetes and uh, you have nanos that can release exactly perfect amounts of insulin at all times, and uh, it's all controlled through this e-tattoo that's checking your system or other nanos that are checking your system. And you can basically have these things that are perfectly in sync with everything you need when you need it. So yeah, it's a whole wow, that sounds great. drug that, delivery system. And it sounds like that will happen within our lifetimes. It seems that way. But what we've seen in the past is a lot of these articles are a little overambitious. They're a little excited. Things take a little bit longer to come to fruition in the medical field. Sure. A lot of times, though, we, we kind of overestimate what we can do in five years, but we seem to underestimate what we can do in like 20 or 50. Well, even 15 years ago, they had a new form of injection that was a lot like the one you see on Star Trek, where it used air pressure and air molecules and, and pushed the, the drug through your skin, mm. and that's how you absorbed it. Here we are 15 years later, and you're still having to give your kids shots at the physician with Just a needle. Just because of the expense. The old-fashioned way. Yeah. So you can get really excited about this new technology, and then you just don't see it become mainstream. Wow. Uh, another really cool element is uh, this 3D printing thing has become an interesting way to make the prosthetics more artistic. Yeah. I think we should do an episode purely on 3D printing at some point, too. Definitely. And I'll put some links on the blog as well, but it's taking prosthetics and making them a more involved part of your life. It's it's a way for artistic expression that, you know, you didn't have before. And that's really impressive. The thing that I think is amazing about the 3D printing stuff is that so many people never get prosthetics because they're in a country where they don't, you know, they don't have insurance. They're just too poor. They don't have insurance, whatever. And the fact that you can make something for them, not necessarily Internet of Things active prosthetics like what we've been talking about, but something just makes me super happy. Something for no cost. I mean, for, for cheap. And, and it doesn't have to be something that looks like it was hacked together. 3D printing can make something beautiful, functional, solid, and replaceable if necessary on, on a dime. So in that sense, that kind of upgrade would be easy. And people are sharing plans for prosthetics so that they can, you know, somebody in a, in a country with, with no expertise can leverage the uh, expertise of somebody at a, at a, you know, an MIT or whatever. Glorious. So we've talked about prosthetics and human enhancements and the amazing progress we're making with that. And so thanks again, James, for sending in that topic. It was thanks, James. so much fun to, to look into this more and, and really see how it connects in 
there's ethical issues, legality, security, and uh, balancing that with the enhancements that make life better and make us even better than we're even capable of on our own has been a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Far Stuff, the Internet of Things podcast. You can find us on the internet at farstuff.com and at Farstuff on Twitter. Get in touch with us using the contact form at farstuff.com or email us at podcast at farstuff.com. And this brings us to the end of our thing. Thanks, everyone. I mean, just by looking at it from, from here, I mean, if, if he was wearing long trousers... You wouldn't, you wouldn't realize that, that he's wearing an artificial leg, right. would you? Right. Just like you don't realize I'm wearing two right now. <laughs> wow. Um.